you just tuned into the hippest way to start and grow your indie author career, learn the ins, the outs, and all the all-arounds of self-publishing with the team from D2D and their industry-influencing guests. You're listening to Self-Publishing Insiders with Draft2Digital. Well, hello there, everybody. We are live. This is Kevin Tomlinson with Draft2Digital, and you're listening to Self-Publishing Insiders, where we talk to all the folks who are on the inside of self-publishing and can share their wisdom with you. And today, I am really thrilled to have uh, someone that I consider a good friend. Bill, I don't know if you feel the same way. I'm not going to put you on the spot or anything in front of uh, (laughs) hundreds of people. But um, yes, Bill Bernhardt, William Bernhardt, to you, uh, if you're not in the know. (laughs) Author, organizer of the what's the what's the official name of your conference because i keep it's referring to writer con see writer i'm wearing writer con merch as we speak there you go and you can get your own writer con merch if you start <laughs> attending writer con every uh, year labor day weekend labor day weekend and that's a pretty good conference i we we enjoyed being there this last time uh, i was there with uh lexi green who is actually in the comments right now helping folks out and dan wood showed up uh, hey Dan, hey Lexi. He's local, so and uh, Lexi is te- technically local too. So, um, like you guys have been there every year for the last at least five years. Yeah, you're like our yeah primary sponsor. Always the, the only thing that uh, derailed us at all was uh, some some big world event that happened um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> for a year. So, but you, yeah. I remember you, you know, phoned in your talk or videoed yeah. in so oh, you know, i always phone still in there. my talks bill i'm always <laughs> phoning in my talks um so welcome to the show good William, to be here bill what do you want me to call you during this bill I'll william you. that's for book covers that's but... very that's formal <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you um you're one of those people man i i i okay there's a group of you who are former well practicing or former former attorneys who decide to write throw novels that's you you fit that that category what what is it about being an attorney that makes you want to become a thriller writer (laughs) yeah thriller i i don't know except that uh, i do think that and these are big generalizations but lawyers tend to be readers they tend to be verbal i mean that's what lawyering and law school is you read you write (laughs) you make arguments it's pretty much the same as being (laughs) some would say you create fictional worlds it's pretty much the same as being a writer so i i think that uh, lawyers may be more inclined in that direction than some although i know some great doctor writers and at least one architect writer and you know it's certainly not restricted to lawyers yeah that's true james rollins is a former veterinarian so that's right right this game really uh, uh Charles, yeah. child used to work in television for pete's sake you never know Patterson that's what advertising. his story is yeah one of my favorites because he, he got into write. he started writing novels as a form of vengeance uh and i think that's just the <laughs> that's just the best reason to become an author I've heard that story, and here, here, here's the saddest thing I'll admit. I was at Thriller Fest. This was many years ago. It was the first time I'd ever been there, and I thought, well, I'll just see who's here. I'll wander down, and there was like one guy in the bar. So I said, hi, you here for Thriller Fest? Yes, he's got an accent, you know. And I talked with a guy for like an hour before I realized I was chatting with Lee Child. <laughs> he probably loved it that way. I think yeah. he would 
in many ways, I think he likes to remain anonymous. Um, maybe. I don't know. You can never tell with these guys. He's doing much more sort of behind the scenes now. But uh, but we're not here to talk about Lee Child per se. He doesn't we're need the help. No. He doesn't need the help. He's got all the promotion he needs. <laughs> so what was it? Uh, I mean, you know, we talked about the idea of the lawyer uh, turned mm-hmm thriller novelist but what was it in particular that drew you to writing like what made you decide you were going to be an author well the truth is i always wanted to be a writer that's all i ever cared about yeah Uh, my mother says i was telling people i was going to be a writer when i was seven which i know seems pretty out there but hey it's my mother so you gotta believe it right and uh the hours if i had any advantage it certainly wasn't where i lived or who i knew because i didn't know anybody in the book world but I did know what I wanted, and I was pretty laser-focused on it. And uh, I was an English major, of course, but shockingly had not written my first bestseller by the time the end of college was approaching. Right. And so I thought, what a surprise. Uh, yeah, better figure <laughs> out some way to pay the bills. So I, I went to law school, and, and that worked out fine. I practiced for about 10 years before the books were going well enough that I thought I could put that to side. But e- even when I'm not practicing law, I still end up writing about legal things more often than not. So it's not as if that education was wasted. It turned out to be a great boon yeah yeah that yeah you can you can put it i I still put the english degree to to work i think i think technically um you can write and sadly as any english teacher will tell you a lot of people can't these days what did you find was the biggest transition though from uh switching from writing for english classes to writing for an audience well, the, the the difference is that, uh, you know, if you're writing for an audience, that it needs to be accessible and yeah. never boring. I mean, not even for <laughs> a sentence or two, or you risk losing your audience. It just needs to go down like a drink of water. That's yeah. one of the things we talk about in some of the writing programs I've done, or the books on writing I've done, the Red Sneaker books, one of them yeah. sizzling style. And that's what it's pretty much all about, right? and revise and revise and revise not because you're trying to show everybody how literary or poetic you are but because you want the meaning of that sentence to be immediately clear the first time the reader reads it no speed bumps and they just keep sailing through yeah and later on they say wow that was a good read or you know i couldn't put it down things sometimes critics will make fun of but when i when I hear somebody say, I couldn't put that book down, I think there is an author who spent a lot of time on his yep. language, his or her language, making sure it was just exactly the way it should be. Yeah, exactly. What's So what's your tip for the best opening line? Huh, spend a lot of time at it because that's <laughs> going to be the most important line you write. Yeah. And that first page and that first chapter, they're going to be the most important things in the book. And if you don't hook people right up front, you may not ever, you know, I know sometimes at my small group retreats, I'll hear somebody say, yeah, I know I've got, I've got a lot of world building or what, but it it really picks up in chapter three. (laughs) Right. You can guess my response. Start with chapter three, forget about the rest. You can do that later. You got to hook them right up front. I like that. Sounds like a chapter head. Is that a chapter head in one of your books? Probably not, but it could be. That sounds this like is, good advice. It's not unique <laughs> to anyone. I published right. 
do I say the name? No, I won't say the name, but way back in the 90s, I published yeah. someone who has published the first book from someone who is very successful now. And I, I liked the book when it came in. I thought it had a lot of potential. The problem was, and I'm not exaggerating, 50 pages of time waste before the story started. Once the yeah. story started, fine, but it was like 50 pages of the protagonist driving down the road making kind of smart alecky remarks about things that weren't all that funny and i said we're slashing this and <laughs> we made other changes too but it, it paid off and the book yeah. sold well and now she's doing really well that's the tough part i think um and it, it is for me i mean uh, the the deciding what to cut is always tough right like i want to keep it all and in fact i'll usually take anything i cut and try to figure out a way to work it in somewhere else in the book oh, as long really? as yeah, if I can, yeah. you know, that's not always possible. No, What's, not uh, me. I'm a big cutter. I'm not exaggerating when I say between first draft and last draft, I typically take out 20,000 words. Wow. But the first draft is long, you know, I'm just yeah. writing. And I and that's fine because if your first draft is long, then you can hack and slash and, you know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's still long enough. I'm not sure long enough really even exists, uh, you know, that qualification in the ebook world because people don't really notice how long your book is but True. i cut and cut and cut and and revise and you know sometimes you said it's hard to know when to me the standard i look at it and say could this be cut not yeah. does it have to be but yeah. could it be cut do we really lose anything and if the answer is no then that gets cut uh, sometimes i'll read a chapter that i've written and think that's fine but maybe a little longer than it really needs to be. Could I cut a page out of this somehow? And usually can. Yeah. 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 There's you can always take stuff out. I, I, mm -hmm. I think I'm more of an add stuff in guy, honestly, <laughs> because I, what I'll do, well, let me start with this. What, what's your target word length for a book? Well, uh, th this just shows how old I am, but it's 80,000 words in my mind. Although yeah. I am perfectly well aware that, uh, some are going longer, some are going short. I don't know how many are really going longer anymore. Yeah, I saw, here I will say the name, good friend of mine, Steve Berry, fantastic writer. But last time we had dinner, even he told me that you know he's still with traditional publishing and they've told him shorter, you know, yeah. that 80,000 yep. words is fine. They don't need... Uh, back in the 90s, I think a lot of publishers were encouraging people to write those long Right. kind of uh you know tom clancy-ish thrillers because guys would think uh well now i'm getting my money's worth for this 30 dollar hardcover because it's right. so thick but nobody thinks that anymore and paper is expensive and everyone's being encouraged to write shorter it's always interesting i get so many different schools of thought on on that word count because there are some who still there are rumors uh in the in the author world especially in the thriller author world that um certain river themed uh retailers uh prefer for thrillers to be in the eighty thousand plus range really and that they won't promote them otherwise but my experience with my books that tend to be in the 65 to 70 range uh is that that isn't necessarily true so yeah i haven't <laughs> heard that before and i've not unless you're being published by that river river themed retailer, right? Uh, you know, or you're taking out ads with them. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure how much. And maybe that's you where can expect. Maybe that's where that comes from. Maybe they want their ads aimed at you know longer, longer books. books. Who mm -hmm. knows? 
Who knows? You can't predict anything about that river. It goes where it wants to go. Um, So, (laughs) uh, so, okay. So around 80,000 words, that's your, that's your typical target. And you're saying you cut 20,000. Do you add more in or rarely? How's that work? Uh, Every now and again, I'll think, you know what this needs? I never did this and that we need to add something here, but mostly it's just cutting, cutting, cutting. Yeah. I get the impression from you, Bill, that you are an outliner. Am I? Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Totally. I mean, I've done it all ways, but I know what works better. Could I write with an outline? Yes. I just think it'd take longer to get to a good draft. And, you know, I tend to get up in the morning and want to sit down and do it. But there are other things I want to do, too. So I don't want to spend an hour staring out the window thinking what happens next. Right, (laughs) right. And novels are so big. There's so many characters and there's so much going on. It's really easy to get lost. You know, you get halfway through and think, what is this about? (laughs) Where are we going? I can't even. It's really nice to have an outline to look at and say, oh, yeah, yeah, right, right. Okay, back on track. What do you what do you consider a a best practice for outlining? What's your method? Well, you know, my wife, Laura, who also writes, gives me, you know, she he can knock out an outline in a day. Who can do that? (laughs) Well, yeah, I can write it in a day, but that's only if I've been thinking about it for weeks, if you know what I mean. You know, I've had the idea. I've been making notes. I'll watch something on television and think, ooh, ooh. That, that sparks another idea. I could do something like, and you know, and start writing notes. And, and eventually when I think I've got enough to outline it, then I outline it. And yeah, I can probably do it in a day, but that's only because I've already got the material. I've, I'm really just kind of putting it in order and making sense of it. Yeah. So, um, and for mentioned- that matter, the outline is never written in stone. You know, every right. day I write, And the next thing I do after I, you know, save and close out the word processing program is open up my outline because probably changes have to be made because you always add stuff when you're actually writing the scene, it changes. And so I type all that in and show how that's going to impact the next. So it's not at all a cage. It's an organic growing thing all along, but it does help me stay on track. Do you have a, a process you follow for the outline do you use like a an app or do you is it, what, what's your method <laughs> no just i'm not that list? fancy i've got scrivener <laughs> and i know the, but okay. what i just open a word processing document and say one <laughs> ben yes. goes into the courtroom or whatever two yeah it's not fancy at all i you know what's funny to me is i talk i've talked to thousands of authors at this point on most of whom probably outline in some form or another. And it almost mm-hmm. always ends up back at that bullet list. Right. Like it's, you know, everyone starts off with, well, I'm going to use this structure from, you know, save the cat or, or something. And I'm, and then I'm going to use this app and I'm going to use this toy. And it always ends up with, uh, well, I was in a hurry. So I opened word and <laughs> <laughs> right. so, that's good. Um, so how do you keep it clean though? Like you're my, the reason I don't outline mm-hmm. two reasons. One, I will effectively just write the book in the outline. Cause I don't know how to be brief about the mm. idea. I want to describe it. You know, my instinct is to describe it in detail. And also if I do outline when I'm done, I feel like the story's finished. And so I'm not driven to, 
to write the book. Oh, I don't feel that way, but you may be writing more detailed outlines than I am. I'm not really exaggerating when I say (laughs) chapter one, Ben walks into the courtroom or chapter two, Daniel calls the coroner (laughs) to the witness stand or whatever. That's my mistake. Detailed outlines at all. (laughs) They just keep the story moving forward. Now you've got, you've mentioned this uh, a couple of times now, but you've got uh, courses and you've got books aimed at helping authors get into this business. So um, is there like a, do you share like formulas and things for, for this sort of thing? Is that how that works for you? I don't really have a formula, but I do talk a lot about structure. In fact, the first yeah. of those Red Sneaker books on writing was called Story Structure, which I really only wrote because at that time I was teaching a, a what do they call it? A, like a community service course for OSU. And I thought, you know, it'd be a lot cooler if I had a textbook because yeah. all the good professors have textbooks, right? And so I wrote this down and they loved it. And I thought, well, heck, uh, I'll do some more. And and then I recorded the audio only because Laura had a setup in her closet because she was recording audio books. I thought this is easy. And that's when it really took off. And an audiobook. Anyway, your question was, so the first one was story structure, because I think this is an important topic that people don't talk about. Nobody, yeah. It's like they almost don't want to admit, at least in some circles, that they outline and they're you know, structuring their book. It's more romantic to say, the muse sits on my shoulder and whispers genius, and but that's yeah. not really the way it happens. Um, so my muse likes to beat the hell out of me every morning around 6am. So <laughs> I think my muse keeps saying, this is boring. There are so many fun things you could be doing. <laughs> Maybe that's not the muse. That's some other voice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I think story structure, you know, having the essential elements, putting them in the right order is mm-hmm. critical. And so few people wanted to talk about it at conferences and whatnot. So I made that the first book and, still where I think people should start. Uh, I think people don't, and I don't think this is just genre fiction. I don't care what you're writing. An understanding of how stories work is just going to make you a better writer. Yeah, that's absolutely true. What's, what's your, uh, I don't know what, do you have like some fundamentals of story structure? Like, is there anything you can share that? Well, a point I like to to go buy the book. Yeah, yeah, by my books, because that's the one I should have put over my head. I wasn't thinking. Yes, exactly. Well, you got plot. That's the one. Oh, good point. But that's a novel. That's plot, counterplot. That's people plotting against each other. Oh, (laughs) see, I was totally totally off base. I thought that was going to be one of your uh, Red red Sneaker books, which we need to talk about Red Sneaker. I want to ask you. Yeah, this is the one I should have put up. There's Perfecting Plot. That's the the one I've uh, got, yeah. I think that was the third one. Um, oh, what was the question? Now I've totally lost it. Oh, I've totally <laughs> lost it too. That's, oh, uh, did you have any like a, a compact oh, sort of list of uh, tips or something for plot? Well, you know, focus on the character. Your character yeah. is the most important thing. I, I, I have heard too many times uh, people saying, well, uh, you know, genre fiction is plot driven but literary fiction is character driven and you can see where the bias there is. Well, plus it's just wrong. All fiction is character driven. Do you have to have a plot? Yes. I hope so. I hope you have one in those literary novels too, but it rises or falls on the characters. If people don't care about your character, 
if they don't like them, which doesn't mean they're perfect, but there has to be something that interests the reader at some level. I don't care how exciting your plot is. If they don't have any interest in the character, that book's going to flop. That's and that's true. probably more serious, more important than ever today when so many people are writing series characters, which is one of the best ways to break into the business right now. But then even more emphasis on the character because you're sure not going to build a series on a character that nobody wants to read about. Right. There's got to be something interesting and appealing and so forth. What, what, what makes for a good character? Well, I would say a lot of things, but fundamentally the, the character has to want something. That's what mm -hmm. drives the plot forward. And they have to some, have something that makes them either sympathetic or empathetic to the reader, meaning basically you either like them or maybe you don't exactly like what they're doing. You know, you've yeah. read the book where the character is in a dark place at the beginning of the book. Right. Which can get old if it doesn't get better. But I think this is something I did in my book, Dark Eye. If, if, if the reader can see that, yeah, the person's in a bad place and she knows it and yeah. she's trying well, you know, but it's just not easy because life isn't easy. Well, that's something readers can relate to, I think. At that point, your character just became empathetic and yeah. they can relate to them and, you know, cheer for them and hope they do better and pull themselves out of whatever dark hole they're in. Right. Is that is that the is is empathy more important than sympathy when it comes to a character? Yeah, not necessarily. I don't know. There, you know, when you think about most successful series characters out there, you're not really talking about you know uh, uh, like uh, depressive, yeah, <laughs> melancholy goth characters who aren't fun to be around. You mostly yeah. have people who are living the dream. In right. some way or another, you know, we just talked about Lee Child. What's what's the appeal of Jack Reacher? He, you know, talk about I've got no strings on me. He's got nothing. He's right. got an ATM card and he <laughs> wanders the country right. and always finds some mess to straighten out and always finds some girl who's crazy about him. Some woman, undoubtedly, since he's an adult, yeah. I should correct that. Uh, and, and, you know, for many people, uh, uh, male and female, that's kind of the dream, you know, nothing yeah. tying me down. I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. Yeah. Similarly in the series, I, the Daniel Pike series, the first book is the last chance lawyer. Mm -hmm. And the idea there is that I'll cut to the chase, but after a disastrous situation with a law firm, Dan is recruited into this group, the Last Chance Lawyers, run by a mysterious figure who only talks to them, <clears throat> you know, by remote vo voice, like Charlie's Angels or yeah, something. I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> for the new era, and yeah. takes care of all the money. They're paid well, uh, and all of them are worthy people who, for one reason or another, can't find a lawyer anywhere else. So they're the last chance. And so, you know, what do lawyers always complain about their clients? Because yeah. <laughs> whether they like the case or not, they're economically uh, more or less compelled to take whatever walks in the door. Well, not yeah. these guys. They can pick and choose and only do cases that have merit and feel like they're on the side of the angels. That is the lawyer's dream. So that's another, you know, really kind of fantasy, but something people can really like and want to read about because, 
I don't know about you, but I was astonished even in the nineties when legal thrillers were the biggest thing out there. And I, yeah. uh, well, I can see why people who don't do this every day would be interested, but surely lawyers are going to go home after a long day in court and read this stuff, but they do. Yeah. Lawyers are huge readers of this book. They need inspiration. I guess so. So here's, <laughs> you know, the last chance lawyers showing them what they kind of wish they were doing that probably aren't. Yeah. I mean, that's why I read comic books and superhero stories, because mm. uh, after a long day of saving the world myself, I, I need inspiration. Uh, do you do you is is uh, are legal thrillers like the whole of your work or do you write? Else. No, not at all. But that's certainly what's, uh, you know, built the house that I'm sitting in right mm -hmm. now. Legal thrillers have been very good to me. I actually didn't do them for a long time. I had done 19 books in the Ben Kincaid series. What's wrong with this picture? You can't stop at 19, right? I right. got to address that at some point. And then I hit one of those round number birthdays and thought, really? I mean, this is a pretty good gig, but this is all I'm going to do yeah. <laughs> for the rest of my So I took some time off, had some money in the bank, and did other things. I wrote a couple of historical novels, one okay. of which got this close to getting made into a miniseries, but who knows, maybe someday. Maybe someday. And uh, I did a young adult uh, book and a children's book. I have done did two now as of a couple days ago three books of poetry and it was really only 10 years later that i came back to the legal world with daniel pike but at that point having been away for a while it seemed fun again you know yeah. and and the world had changed enough that i thought i've got new things to write about here and and so i went back to it and boy was that a good decision that turned out really well so it sounds like you didn't have any real issues i mean were there challenges to switching genres basically i mean did you have any problems there not for me uh, but realistically <laughs> and this is not a criticism of anybody but readers you know expect their author to do more or less the same thing next yeah. time not meaning the exact same book but you know the same area the same genre yeah uh, people who love my legal thrillers are just not likely to pick up a book of my poetry. Right. <laughs> I totally get that. And that's fine. It doesn't hurt my feelings in the in the slightest. Just be patient. There'll be another thriller pretty soon. Yeah. Do you think readers follow uh, the author or do they follow the characters more? Both. I yeah. think uh, any uh, most readers that you talk to are going to say, I follow the author, I love the author, but often that's, only as long as authors are doing what they like, you know, what they yeah. want them to do. And it's not just me. Think about, oh gosh, think about when Anne, Ray, Anne Rice shifted from vampires to writing religious stories, you know, the, yeah. the adolescence of Jesus and whatnot. Uh, her fans did not follow her into this new, uh, you know, new thing. Yeah. Did the, I remember, um, I know he's a controversial guy, but you know, my favorite author was always Orson Scott Card, and mm. I came in on Ender's Game like everyone else. But right. you know, he wrote several other books outside the sci fi genre, including some religious ones. Uh, and I devoured all of those, I, wow. I didn't like them quite as much, but you know, good for you. I, said I didn't the guy even know wrote that. a cookbook, I'd read it. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, he's got a w Women of the Bible series that I actually think was was pretty good. Um, Huh. But you know, it's it's all 
it's all relative, but uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, so good. You, you, you didn't have any real trouble with uh, shifting genres. I mean, was there at least, at least not except for your poetry, I guess, but uh, yeah. with the historical stuff, you know, first of all, the question I really wanted to ask earlier on that was, uh, you know, what, what do you do for research? How, how do you mm. handle research? Uh, again, that depends on the book, but the one I was alluding to a second ago was called Nemesis, and okay. it was a uh, slightly fictionalized account of the Cleveland Torso murder in the 30s. I was reading uh, a biography of Elliot Ness, yeah. who, of course, we all know from The Untouchables, but yeah. who realized, at least until I read this book, that uh, maybe 10 years or so after all of that, he was in Cleveland as the safety director. Prohibition had been repealed. He had to find new work. And he was a safety director when this guy, who's generally credited with being America's first true serial killer, starts killing people. And, and the city's expecting him to do about it, which do something about it. And he didn't know what to do. Nobody knew what to do at that time. All the forensic profiling and whatnot we rely on now to try and track serial killers didn't exist then. And yeah. so here's this well-known crime fighter in this great case. And it seemed like nobody's telling that. They're telling that Al Capone story over and over. I mean, the truth is Ness didn't have that much to do with taking down Elliot Ness. Right. That you know, they got him on tax fraud. Yeah. Uh, and I thought this was a much better story. Why isn't anybody telling that? So I wrote this. And I think the answer is because it was never solved, at least not officially. Right. So I spent uh, about two years, not every day, but periodically researching that, going to Cleveland, looking at the records and everything I looked at just uh, made it more interesting than I thought it was before. Anyway, so the book follows really very factually the case. Of course, I invent dialogue and whatnot, but what happens is pretty much what happens until we get to the last, uh, you know, I don't know, 30 pages or so where I present my solution, my version of what I think happened. Yeah, uh, which uh, you know some of the some of the nonfiction writers, one in particular I'm thinking of, who have researched this, uh, have said publicly they think I got it right. So that they think that so that's pretty cool. nice. That's very yeah. nice. Yeah. <laughs> now you just need them to write a blurb uh, to that effect. <laughs> so that's good, uh, it, and that's the kind of thing that in itself would make a great uh, thriller novel plot. Is the thriller novelist who fictionalizes a true story and gets it right. Um, right. Well, see, that's kind of what plot counterplot is. that what is. that is? The okay. protagonist is a thriller writer, and there are, without giving it away, I'll just say bad guys who okay. want to steal a heavily protected government weapon and think there's no way, who could figure out a way to get in to this you know, well-protected enclave? Well, there's this guy who writes book after book where his hero breaks into places and, and maybe yeah. he's the guy. Yeah. And so they grab him and try and force him to plot for them. And of course, he pretends to be going along, but he's also counter plotting against them and back and forth. And that's what that one's all that, about. That, by the way, is why there's the, that government program, the Red Cell program that has yeah. like Brad Thor and Michael exactly. Bay and people in it. So, which that's I always right. thought would make a great. That'd make a great probably 
television series, really. I mean, that would make a great story all its own. So it could be a good so, premise. I've kicked that around, so I got dibs on that. You can't okay. take that one. Uh, uh, you got it. It's yours. <laughs> Everybody listening knows it's yours. So that's it. I've licked it. It's mine. Um, what's your what's your timeline on a book from start to finish? Oh, it depends. I think the quickest I've ever done it is four months, but that's pretty extraordinary. Six is probably more real. Mm-hmm. And some of that, um, you know, you get to a point where you just, uh, uh, you know, if I want to take off a day and spend some time with the kids, I always write a little bit every day in the morning, but maybe not as much. <laughs> right. I'm more merciful with myself than I used to be now that the kids are grown and they're out of college and are almost out of college and whatnot. So uh, six months is probably more realistic. Yeah. I felt like, uh, you know, sometimes I, I, I don't even think of it as a job because it is, after all, what I always wanted to do, writing, and I get to do it. And it, it pays the bills. And sometimes I feel guilty. Like, you know, basically I retired when I was 35 and <laughs> I've been taking it. Uh, did you read not too long ago, Stuart Woods p- passed away. And in I, his, I did not know that. Yeah. And in his obituaries, uh, the, everybody was quoting this thing where he says he basically writes for an hour a day because he has other things he likes to do in the morning and yeah. the afternoon, he's got hobbies, but from 11 to 12, he would write a chapter. And that's okay. how he got his books done. And they sold very well. So this uh, is what I used to say. Yeah, I've been telling authors this forever. It doesn't really, you know, the, the, everyone sort of daydreams about, you know, being able to write all day. And I, I got to tell you from experience <laughs> that writing all day is kind of exhausting and yes. isn't much yes. fun. And, uh, you know, I did that for a very long time. Uh, very, you know, I had the, this is what I do career, you know, right. just sit, sit and write all day long. Um, I don't know. I kind of prefer having a little something to do and interacting with people. And, you know, yeah. I, I like mean, Stephen some... King's perspective, you know, that writing yeah. happens, writing happens uh, around life, not the other way around. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, I cut you off though, Bill. Sorry. Oh, uh, I don't remember what it was. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bad host. I'm a bad host. Uh, no. uh, yeah. I mean, if you write every day, you're going to get there in yeah. time. I mean, if you're seriously writing pages yeah. every day, then you're going to get there. And if there's no deadline, uh, you know, maybe you don't. Uh, here's the hard thing, because as soon as you indicate, no, you don't have to work 12 hours a day on your book, then the it's like the gateway drug you know and pretty soon people aren't writing at all and that's why i try and get people in my programs to commit to writing every day or some kind of schedule whatever they can do figure it out and commit to it because otherwise you sit down and think oh yeah i need to feed the cat and water the the plants and oh my gosh i'm doing that thing with kevin today at noon so maybe i'll just skip and the laundry you know laundry seems really appealing when you should be writing (laughs) yeah pretty soon you didn't write yeah if you want to get anything done around my house uh you know tell me to go write uh (laughs) let's let's pop in i got some questions that have kind of popped up and if you're listening right now uh live Feel free to drop in more questions. I'll take a look and uh, flag them. But this first one's from William Brinkman. Uh, 
because we're talking about best practices, Bill, I think this mm -hmm. you can field this is having a perma free first in series still effective. Perma free. I've never done that. So I'm not the one who should testify. Uh, I'm, you know, kind of, you know, annoyed and offended by the idea of making anything of mine free. I spent months writing it now. Yeah. I'm okay with a uh, super discounted, you know, 99 cents free for the first in a series, yeah, particularly yeah. if it's a long series, because you're trying to lure people in, right? Try They like the first one, they'll perhaps get the other. And right. let's face it, eBooks do lend to impulse shopping. It's so right. easy to say, oh, I like that book. I'm going to get, boom, 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 boom. And I've bought all the others in this right. series. So. So, uh, you know, maybe that would work. Of course, if you're going to do that at Amazon, that means you've got to be in their special program, which right. I remember the name of. And I don't want to do that either. I'm not dissing Amazon, but I'd like to, I mean, that's why I'm at draft to digital right? I want my books to go everywhere. So Right, right. Yeah, I think uh, per I'm with you. I, I don't like pricing things free because for one, you're trying to cultivate an audience that's willing to buy uh, and free appeals to basically everyone, but it doesn't necessarily necessarily nurture uh, the right market. Like you're you're basically just saying, you know, here's my free book, and people who love free books will grab it. Uh, I well, think plus, you should charge it, a little something. Yeah, it looks to me like there have been times when I've seen some of my books be free, not my doing but there's a book bub or whatever going on yeah and sure you'll you know people you'll they'll download seven thousand copies in a day but yeah how many of those are actually read I mean, some of those are just people's oh it's free boom boom yeah boom. <laughs> yeah who cares it's free right right uh, it's yeah. not necessarily going to inspire anybody to read it right yeah i'm right there with you uh oh jenny Hello, Jenny. And she said hi to both of us earlier. Hey, Jenny. Uh, what made you want to create the Red Sneaker Writers book series and help others? Well, I think I just told how the Red Sneaker Writer book series started. I, I did one and then I did three and they were doing well. So I kept doing it until I ran out of topics. Ten was probably enough of those. But I've always been, you know, I've been doing a conference. We didn't always call it WriterCon, but I've been doing that for something like 15 years. And I've been doing small group uh, retreats, we call them now. I used to call them seminars, but that sounds so teachy. Yeah. Retreats sounds a lot more appealing, yeah. doesn't it? <laughs> and when we go someplace nice like Eureka Springs, and it does seem like a retreat. Anyway, you know, to me, I just think back to when I was that seven-year-old in a small town in Oklahoma who wanted to be a writer more than anything else. And of course I wasn't even aware of things enough to think about money. I just thought, wouldn't that be cool if I walked into the library and my name was on the spine of one of those books, yeah. that's what I wanted. But trying to find anybody who knew anything about writing, who would respond to, I want to be a writer with anything other than <clears throat> <laughs> get realistic yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe you need to you know go to school or something uh, it would have made such a difference if there had been a writer con or a small group thing or anything i could have attended back then and so that's what i'm trying to do here maybe make it a little easier for the next generation i want to point out to uh jenny that this time i did not refer to you as jeremy 
So uh, that's an in joke with me and her. Hey, uh, Jenny's a terrific writer. I've read some of her work, and it is first rate. And I was it was a it was a pleasure meeting her at the con, at uh, writer mm-hmm. con this last time as well. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, friendly one says, "Love your red sneaker books, but always wonder is there more to the story of their theme than you have shared to date." I'm guessing that's it, a question about oh, red sneakers. why is it red sneakers? Yeah. Um, uh, probably there isn't more to it that I've shared today, <laughs> except that it occurred to me and I went with it. You know, people always talk about branding. I probably yeah. should have hired someone, but to me, I just wanted something that's not lacking in pizzazz, but straightforward. Yeah. Or to put, you know, a more direct thumb on it. I was tired of going to conferences sometimes at universities sometimes not where you hear people who haven't really written a whole lot given a talk that seems to me does more to obfuscate the subject matter than explain it yeah and and i thought that's that's not helping anybody it's hard enough as it is so when i wrote these books i just wanted it to be direct i'm not going to waste your point uh, waste your time rather. I'm just, here's what you need to know. Sometimes books on writing become an excuse for not writing. You know, right. people buy them all and think I got to read these. Not mine, man. You'll finish those in a couple hours. Get back to it, right? <laughs> Apply what you learned and write some more. And for some reason, I connected that with Red Sneakers, my converses that I love. But, you know, they're not fancy, but they are kind of flashy and they do what they're supposed to do. And they're not putting on airs. They're just cool. And that's the kind of writer that, you know, I'm trying to encourage people to do. Tell a good story. Yeah, I think in in terms of branding, I think that's that's right on, man. I think you you got it. Uh, Rusty has a couple of questions, actually. We'll start with this one. Do you believe books such as eBooks are only 1,500 to 2,000 words? Oh, that are only 1,500 to 2,000 words have potential. Short fiction. Yeah, that would be a a short even for a short story. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Short stories sell for 99 cents. I've got a few out there, and particularly the Christmas-themed ones. Uh, do well every Christmas, but even those are longer than 1500. That'd be like 10 manuscript pages for me. That's, that's not quite, but almost flash fiction. So I don't know. I haven't specifically done that. Are people buying anything that short? I have some stuff that's probably, I have a couple of things like I'll write short stories every now and then, and I'll go ahead and publish them as books. And they, they don't, they don't grab an audience. And a lot Mm -hmm. of my, when I announce them, my readers say, oh, I don't read short stories. I want a full novel. Uh, yeah. But I figure it doesn't hurt to have them out there. So I wouldn't now, say they're a huge seller. Yeah. Now, if you've got a series character, you know, yeah. if you're going to do a Daniel Pike story in 2000 yeah. words, then, yeah, you can probably sell that to the people who yeah. like the novels. And this will be a nice in-between aperitif or something. But yeah. But on its I, own, I would say uh, use them less for trying to get uh, someone to buy them and make a revenue off of them and more for uh, enticing people into your into yeah, your world. That makes uh, sense. Like post them on your blog or something. But, you know, I'm also a big fan of sell what you can sell. So, um, well, that might be what the <laughs> previous questioner was uh, was pointing toward you know i could i could give away a 2000 word short story without feeling too bad about it if i thought 
you know, right. and if you like that, here, go buy these eight novels. Or right. Which now that you bring that up, that's exactly what I do. I have a free mm -hmm. uh, short story on my site and people, it's exclusive to the site. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you do too. So yeah, so we both use, and it's not first in free, uh, first in series though. I think that's the difference. Right. His question. Well, was, yes, right. So, yeah. Um, the whole perma free thing. Uh, the new eBooks can have video. Do you feel this helps for uh, short story eBooks? Uh, this is news to me. EBooks can have video. How does yeah, that I'm, work? I think I, I think that's an EPUB three thing, and I've I've not played around with it, but. Um, are, are people selling those at Amazon? Don't know. Yeah, like Amazon would be about the only place I can think of where those would sell right now. I'm yeah. sure people, my folks in the comments can uh, probably speak to that. That's okay. not one I use. Sorry, I'll, Rusty. That's news yeah. to me. Yeah, that's okay. That's okay. I mean, I can see people, you know, on the about the author page or the acknowledge or afterward, whatever you call it, which is usually kind of boring, a short video of you saying, Hey, thanks for reading my book. I really appreciate it. I can see that being cool. What, yeah. uh, what other kind of videos would you like a trailer or, I mean, if people have already got the book, they don't need a sales trailer. So I could, I could see maybe having like some, um, behind the scenes stuff maybe like i put every one of my books has what i call my note at the end so i can yes. see maybe doing that as a video and yeah, in yeah addition i can see to that. that um let's see lexi says uh i think hey, multimedia lexi. epubs like that have limited access on most platforms right. it's something many devices have not been built to accommodate so <clears throat> i think that's um i think that's accurate so probably um, someday but maybe not now yeah, but you know what? Anything can happen. It's a crazy world out there. Well, particularly uh, and the, and the if it's shifting. If it's <laughs> just at Amazon, I mean, as it is, you sometimes have to tweak the the file a little mm -hmm. bit, like between right. Amazon and Draft to Digital, because of yeah. course, uh, you know, some of the retailers don't want to distribute anything that mint, you know, has a link to Amazon, and I don't Amazon. blame them. Right. So. Uh, you know, that would be a good yeah. use of uh, tools like our universal book links at draft to digital. Uh, so <laughs> Bill, you know, are... when I use those most Kevin, just so you when know, you it's them? when I'm doing some kind of advertising and somebody wants to know all eight links where this book can yep. be bought. I thought, ah, universal book link. That's what they're for. <laughs> Saves That's me a lot of time. <laughs> That's what they're for. Now, uh, so we're at the end. We're going to have to wrap up. Uh, but people, I have williambernhardt.com as where people can find you. Is right. that is that going to do it? Is there anywhere else people should look? That's great for me. And if you want to know more about the conference, the WriterCon conference, or the small group programs, uh, or there's a cruise. We're doing a WriterCon cruise in April. Uh, that website is writercon.com. I will warn you that there's nothing there yet about 2023 because we just finished 2022, but give you another month or so and the website will be ready for registrations for WriterCon 2023. And there's information about the cruise there now. All right. I'll check that out. I'm not getting on the cruise. Uh, everything in the ocean is trying to kill me. <laughs> uh, we're going to have fun. We did this once before in 2020, just before Things oh man bad for the lockdown i mean we were fortunate and of course yeah. then and it was a big hit but 
we couldn't do it for two years for obvious reasons. So now yeah. we're going to go back on the ocean. I think yeah. it's going to be a blast. Back We've had, to a, the ocean. had a good registrations for it. So I think it's going to be a good time. Well, good luck. Enjoy that. Uh, and uh, if ever, anyone's interested in that, make sure you go to ridercon.com. Make sure you check out williambernhardt.com for everything Bill Bernhardt. Bill, so as always, it was a pleasure to chat with you. I'm, I'm glad you were on the show. Thank you for no, being it's here. That's great. Thanks for having me. Everybody else, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Self-Publishing Insiders. If you're listening to this, uh, you know, make sure that, and, and if you're watching this, make sure you go to uh, ddlive.com and bookmark that page so you know when new episodes are coming up. We've got one every week. Uh, we're booked out all the way to the end of the year on this thing. So uh, make sure you're tuning in live. And of course, every Thursday we drop a new episode of the podcast, wherever fine podcasts are sold. Uh, once again, Bill, thank you. And everyone else, take care of yourselves and we will see you next time. Thanks. See you later. That's it for this week's Self-Publishing Insiders with draft to digital Be sure to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts and share the show with your will-be author friends. And start, build, and grow your own self-publishing career right now at draft2digital.com.